This is the Gifted Kid Complex, the show where the panelists were gifted kids who refused to move on with a satirical take on intellectual elitism by having the most tongue-in-cheek, inane, pedantic, and convoluted conversations every week. Introducing one of your hosts this episode. She's ambitious to the point of hubris. It's Shessie. Spooky, scary skeletons send shivers down your spine. (laughs) My spine? Okay, I see how it is. (laughs) And your other host this episode. (gasps) I know, her burnout is evident. It's Tessie. Boo. Uh, varying degrees of effort going into the taglines this episode. Be scared. Ah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, you heard that right, folks. This is our first joint episode ever, really, for Halloween, because we can. Mm. So each panelist here today has experienced gifted kid syndrome growing up in some way. Taya, please tell us about yourself. Hello, I'm Taya. I do a BA in history at Oxford. Mm-hmm. And for Halloween, I'm going to be a pirate. Of course. Following from last week's episode. Mm. Unsurprising. And I am Cher. I do philosophy at UCL. My fun fact. Oh, wait, I have a fun fact. Okay. The tradition of like a jack o' lantern no, no. comes from an Irish myth about Stingy Jack who tricked the devil like for money. And so when he died, God didn't let him into heaven and the devil didn't let him into hell. So he was sentenced to roam the earth as a ghost. People started to carve like demonic faces out of like pumpkins and turnips to frighten away his soul. Fuck. What? That was my fact. Oh shit. We have the same fact. Fuck. My fact was jack-o'-lanterns were originally carved from turnips in ancient Celtic cultures. Yes. And they would insert like embers into the carved turnips for like warding. Mm. So basically we Mm. have the same fucking fact. Okay, here's a different one. Fun fact also is that part of Halloween can be traced back to um, Samhain. Samhain. I was gonna go into the origins of Halloween and Samhain, but like that's way too steeped in religion and colonization for me to feel like I should say anything about shit. Uh, And that's definitely more terrorist territory. So I was gonna settle for the turn of spec, but I guess we've both convened on it together. Yep. So that's fine. That's fine. So what's gonna happen today? Both of us have prepared a game for each other in the theme of Halloween. I have gone kind of out with it. Oh, I've gone way out. Yeah, so maybe this will have nothing to do with Halloween. (laughs) Oh no, mine does. Mine kind of does. So I'm gonna start with my word of the day, which is qualia. Haven't we already... We've talked about it, but it's never been the word of the day. I get you. So it's the subjective or qualitative properties of experiences. It was popularized as a term in the context of Mm. discussing the theory of sense data by C.I. Lewis in 1929. So for him, he used it as like properties of sense data, but in a more contemporary usage, it's more generally to properties of experience. Mm. And I feel like I should read out this quote from the Stanford Encyclopedia's entry from Michael Tai, which I think really captures what it is when we talk about qualia. So, I am the subject of a mental state with a very distinctive subjective character. There is something it is like for me to undergo each state, some phenomenology that it has. Philosophers often use the term qualia, to refer to the introspectively accessible phenomenal aspects of our mental lives. So the very classic examples that we go for are the redness of red and the ouchness of pain. Yep. Very fun word. Etymologically, I think it's probably from qualitative. So that is the word of the day. Do you want to do yours like now or do you want to do yours before your game? Yeah. 
So uh, my quote is in the real spirit of this podcast. Uh, Cher's gone with something smart. Okay, you won't know this. What do you mean I won't know this? I'm a huge fan of reality TV. Oh, okay, okay? yeah, I wouldn't know this. Right, people are going to know what's coming because <laughs> it's Halloween. It's from Gemma mm. Collins on Celebrity Big Brother. Gemma thinks <laughs> she has seen a ghost. <laughs> Followed by Gemma Collins's. Now get that fire exit door. I'm off. <laughs> Absolutely iconic moment from reality TV. Jesus if people Christ. do know what I'm talking about, you are cultured. <laughs> we went with incredibly different directions. Whenever I hear about ghost stories now, I think about like Gemma has seen a ghost. Oh my god. How recent was this? Like that that's what your ghost schema is now. Oh, this is from like Sabri Big Brother, which was like years and years ago. Oh my god. It's like season 17 of it. This entire so bit true. is completely lost on me. <laughs> quintessential british reality tv to be honest quintessential world reality tv i don't i think i'm just like not on reality tv like as a as a general so that's my bad we're gonna do my game first yeah let's go which is you should know this the trivia game where the panelists quiz each other on things the others definitely do not know only i know what we'll be talking about today and i'll be asking everyone else to tell me about it today the topic is philosophical zombies. I'm going to preface this, guys, with the fact that I know, like, nothing about philosophy. Yeah, it's really fun, because I know nothing about history. I know a few names, and I don't know what they argued, and that's about it. That's fine. We'll kick things off with a very simple question. Okay, let's get right into it. Yeah, what do you think they are, philosophical zombies? Zombies that are able to do philosophy? <laughs> or, like... Like, do they have the mental capacity to be able to do philosophy? It's interesting that you mentioned mental capacity. It's the opposite way. Yeah, like, wouldn't that contradict the definition of zombie? So the unifying idea of the zombie is a human completely lacking conscious experience. Yeah. 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 So they don't have the mental capacity. The point is that they don't have mental phenomena. Mm, but, like, philosophical zombies... Is, is that what it is? Like a zombie in philosophy? No, they don't do philosophy. The whole point, it's just like oh. the philosophical concept oh. of a zombie. It's not philosopher zombies, it's philosophical <laughs> zombies. Well, I don't know. It could be like zombies that can do philosophy. Well, okay. It's not inconceivable that a philosophical zombie could act out doing philosophy. I'm going to give you a few words that are modifiers to the philosophical zombies. They're kind of like subtypes. You tell me what you think they entail. Mm. So knowing that mm, the mm, concept of philosophical zombies, no mental experience, right? Okay. Behavioral. Okay. What's a behavioral philosophical zombie? Well, uh, it just acts. Yeah. It just basically like, does shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's basically <laughs> it. Brains. A behavioral philosophical zombie is behaviorally indistinguishable from a human. And we kind of just assume on a folk level that mental capacity is causal over our behavior, right? Mm. But the whole point is that it is conceivable, in theory, that you can have a philosophical zombie that has no mental phenomena, but just behaves the same as us as conscious people. Oh, wait, as in like it respires and does the whole mrs gren yeah i don't know because this is weird because it's like that weird consciousness thing where it's like yeah to what extent does you like reaching out for something signify like actual intention what does intention mean yeah the whole point is that they don't have any of that all that happens is that they physically behave uh but they don't have any mental conscious experience mm. right so okay that's weird for example my desire to pick up a cup of water leads me to do it mm. what would happen for the behavioral zombie is that the behavioral zombie picks up the glass of water but there's no motivation there's no thought there's no feeling of thirst or anything like that therefore no feeling of like touching yeah, the glass. no absolutely not 
It's just the physical phenomena. Okay. I don't think that's possible. Well, none of this is possible, but like... And we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about possibility in a second. It feels very counterintuitive. It is. It like is. Like to think about, you know. So the next one is a neurological philosophical zombie. What do you think that is? Mm, it's something to do with, with, I guess, the brain. So like it's... Mm-hmm. Or like it's got a brain yeah, that can um, get it to do things. How, I don't know how functional the brain would be, but... So it's not incompatible with the behavioral zombie, but it's like picking out different aspects Mm. of it like kind of like placing the emphasis so the behavioral one was looking at what the zombie is doing Mm. which could include speech by the way the zombie could make utterances that have semantic meaning but not have any intention to convey meaning because they don't have any mental experience right Mm. so the neurological zombie is specifically the zombie that has a human brain and is also in generally like physiologically indistinguishable from a human. So not specifically brain, but the emphasis is that the brain is the same. Uh, as like a human. On a physical structural level, they On have the same physicality level. in human brainness. Okay, but does that imply that they have consciousness? No, it doesn't. Not necessarily. It depends on where you land in terms of physicalism yeah. uh, and non-physicalism. Yeah. So there's like the philosophy of mind position called physicalism, which is a broad camp. And there are a lot of different theories that fit within it. What the unifying idea of physicalism is that all mental phenomena are just physical phenomena. Mm-mm-mm. What I would say the most pure form of physicalism is probably mind-brain identity theory, where it says all mental states are like identical to brain states. So a mental state is a brain state. It's not like related, it just is. Oh. That that's my mm. idea of what the purest form of physicalism would be. So if you are a physicalist, then you would think that the human brain being the same would entail that. That there's still mental thought going on. Yeah. But if you're not... The point of this thought experiment is to see, like, on a physical level, everything can be the same, but it's not inconceivable, not not possible. We're not saying that. It's not inconceivable that the being with a human brain and behaviorally is exactly the same as a human could have zero mental phenomena. And that's kind of where we're going into this. The behavioral zombie is literally just me in lecture. <laughs> That's me in lecture. I was considering the game being, um, what do you think would clue you in into someone being a philosophical zombie? But I thought we shouldn't go. What there. would clue me in? Oh, I don't know. I mean, like the whole point is that nothing would. Yeah. But um, what would lead you to believe that someone has no mental phenomena going? You know when you wake up from like one of those naps. Yeah. And like it feels like everything is everywhere. You're like drenched in sweat. Real. Your headphones are up your ass. <laughs> like you don't know what the fuck's going. Like your laptop's like upside down. Like half the keys are out. Like it's still playing something random because you've left YouTube on autoplay. Yeah. And like you wake up and it's actual delete. And you're like, what the actual fuck is going on? And it feels like you've like just come out the womb. No, but here's the thing. You're mentioning like your feelings and your thoughts about it. That's not what the philosophical zombie is about. No. They would have zero feelings. They wouldn't. Zero thoughts. So that that's like the interesting thing, right? Like <laughs> No thoughts, head empty zombie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Literally. Oh, man. Um, so then there's the soulless zombie, which is the zombie that lacks a soul. The soul as a concept is not really... Soul is weird. You have to define that, probably. Yeah, we don't really refer to the soul anymore yeah. in contemporary philosophy. That's kind of more your ancient Greek. Yeah. It's going to be like talking about that. Mm. Then there's the imp zombie. 
short for imperfect. So it's like a P zombie because, by the way, philosophical zombie is a P zombie. Yeah, it's abbreviated to P, as in the letter. I thought you meant like P E E. I know that, that <laughs> we thought it was funny, the team and I. Um, so it's like a P zombie, but it has slightly different behavior than like a regular conscious human. What, like I want brains or something? No, <laughs> brains. No, but the idea like of like um, the development of mental phenomena and like mental capacity over time. What would Darwin have to say about this shit? Darwin. No. Like, I don't want to go there because that's like a whole can of worms. Yeah, it's a whole can of worms. And the final term that I want to introduce to you, zombie universe. Zombieverse. Yeah, zombieverse. The zombieverse. So it's identical to our world in all physical ways. Okay. Except no beings in it have any qualia. Okay. The point of the zombie universe is basically we can really simplify it, boil it down to a universe where everything's the same but there's no conscious experience. Okay. Yeah, this thought experiment was brought up primarily to argue against physicalism, like I said. Mm. The philosophical zombie concept or thought experiment I think was mostly popularized by uh, David Chalmers. Fucking Chalmers! <laughs> Let's go! You like it's him? Bro, I know this man. Oh. I don't know how I know this man, but I know that I know this man. I've watched one of his like TED Talks, probably. <laughs> uh, he was Oxford. So he's still around. He's 57 right now. Where is he? What college? Oh, he's currently at NYU. This man is Einstein. Chalmers is kind of the guy who I think popularized the philosophical zombie thought experiment mm. in defense of the hard problem of consciousness. Mm. So... What we need to talk about is possibility. Okay. So you said it was counterintuitive. Or, or, or how did you phrase it? I felt counterintuitive to think that there exists a zombie that has a brain structurally similar, like, or exactly the same yeah. as ours. Behavior as well. Yeah. That is not able to experience, like, sensory input. Interesting. You know what I mean? Like, the electrical impulse mm -hmm. through synapses gets sent up yeah. to the brain or through nerves. So... That process is happening. Mm -hmm. But like, I feel like it would be very weird to have that exist without like some mm -hmm. reaction to it or sense to it. You know what I mean? Like, why would it have evolved? Basil, it's a thought experiment. So the idea is, is this conceivable first? So what we're going to do, mm. we're going to go through different levels of subjunctive possibility okay so what subjunctive possibility is is basically mm. ways things could be true we're gonna work our way through them okay i'm gonna baby training meals you guys through philosophy terrifying <laughs> so like one day maybe we can talk about the analytic a priori versus synthetic a posteriori distinctions but that's for another time philosophers when they have thinking do at 8 p.m i know <laughs> So when we talk about subjunctive possibility for some truth, mm. P, which is a factive proposition, right? So a proposition that is true. Okay. Under what scope is it necessary for P to be true is kind of what we're getting at. Can I get a pen? Sure. I think I need to write some of this down. I'm not going <laughs> to remember any of it. That's fine. Okay. Um, Hold on. Got my lecture notes. All right. <laughs> so what you've established so far is that we're going to try and find out the conditions for which something can be true. Yeah. What would it take for P to be true? Oh, so and if those, like the conditions yeah. that it would take to be true, if they exist, then it's possible. Sort of. So we're going to go through different kinds of possibility. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let so me get a pen. first, the broadest kind of possibility, the most strict form, I think, is logical possibility. Okay. A proposition is said to be logically possible. 
if there is no logical contradiction involved in its being true. Okay. For example, the proposition, this shape is a four-sided triangle, is logically impossible. Okay. A shape being four-sided logically entails it not being a triangle, so it couldn't be true because it would contradict itself. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. But also, uh, this is more jargon and this is more technical, but the philosophers of language might appreciate this. The sentence, this shape is a four-sided triangle, not logically self-contradictory because it is logically possible that the denoting phrase, the word triangle, could have meant a four-sided shape. Yes, I understand so that. Yeah, when we okay. talk about propositions, it's not about the words we use, but the meaning. Mm. You could substitute all of these with like other language words for example right so th this is purely about the logical structure it's like grammar like the logic of grammar yes we actually do refer to logics with grammar they have their own grammars okay so yeah it's nice that you picked up on that logical necessity uh, and possibility pertains to like all universes okay that's a difficult grain to swallow but Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like philosophical doubt about analytical truths. That's kind of like very Cartesian, the malicious demon thing, but we're not going to go there. Okay. So that's logical possibility. Mm. Those kinds of possibilities are driven by definition. For something to be logically possible, it just can't contradict itself. Okay. So we're going to talk about metaphysical possibility. Okay. And the relationship between logical and metaphysical possibility really depends partially on how the philosopher views logic. But we're going to talk about discovered identities. This was popularized by Kripke. Mm. So things like water is H2O is metaphysically necessary. Water is defined as being H2O and vice versa, right? Okay. Well, that's the name that we've given water in regards to the like chemical system of notation that we have. Yeah. It's ontologically reducible. That's more jargon. Basically, ontology is just the study of being. So water being defined as H2O mm. entails that water and H2O are ontologically reducible. Okay. Water and H2O refer to different things. They refer to the same kind of thing, the same like object, mm. but H2O is specifically two hydrogens and one oxygen, whereas water is like the thing that it is. Mm. So they're not analytically reducible to each other because they actually mean different things. They have different meanings, which is why it's not logically necessary. Does that make sense? Mm. And do you have any questions? Like, uh, you know? Not at the moment. This is why I don't like doing philosophy because it just feels like gym for my brain. <laughs> I just have to wrap my head around like certain things. And I'm not very used to the way of thinking of like, this is defined as that, this is defined as that, therefore, etc. Yeah. I'm kind of just go, what? Like, okay. <laughs> All right. Slay, I guess. So let's talk about nomological possibility. Okay. So nomological possibility is possibility under the actual laws of nature in our world. So that's what actual refers to. Mm. Things like the laws of nature that we take to be true of our universe, like the gravitational constant, speed of light, etc., are what most philosophers now, and I think most people would agree, are contingent metaphysically. Mm. So there could have been different natural laws that obtained rather than the ones that we have. Like the speed of light could have just been some other speed. Mm. There's nothing contradictory about that. Okay. I don't really know what the definition of metaphysics means with yeah. full precision in this context. Sure. Because I use those words very differently. Yeah. Okay. So mm. metaphysical possibility refers to possibilities of how things could be in a universe. 
um not necessarily that it is mm. in ours okay yeah all right does that make more sense yes. so like all possible worlds rather than our world yes the example that i have from wikipedia demonstrating nomological possibility okay it would not be logically or metaphysically impossible for you to travel to Alpha Centauri. Pop quiz. Yeah. What is Alpha Centauri? Uh, it's a star. It yeah. is a star. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yes. It's the nearest star to ours, our solar system star. It's four light years away. So it is not logically in that there's no contradiction. It's not metaphysically impossible in that it seems like an impossible world. It would be possible, right? Mm. For you to travel to Alpha Centauri in one day. Yeah. But for it to happen... It would have to be the case that you could travel yes. faster than the speed of light in our universe. Which is not possible by the natural laws. Yes. Nomologically, I guess is what you would say. Exactly. Okay. So I, I think like it. I kind of have to nod to Shoemaker and some other philosophers who have argued that the laws of nature, like our laws of nature, are necessary and not contingent. So in that case, nomological possibility and metaphysical possibility would be equivalent. But that's like a whole other thing. But they're still referring to two different things. It's just like, would they be the same? Okay, we're going to operate under the assumptions that they are different things and that the example that yes. like Cher's just given holds true. So like the only difference that Shoemaker would say is that it wouldn't be possible for the natural laws to be different. Mm. That That's all he's saying. Okay, and the last one is the most folk, the okay. most normative temporal possibility. So I could have applied through UCAS to do my degree in history rather than philosophy, but I cannot now. Mm. So it's not temporally possible for me to have done that Yes. at this time. So that possibility is no longer open to being actualized. Yes. But I could have because it was not impossible on a logical, metaphysical, or even on a nomological level. Yes. It just didn't happen. And because time has passed since then, it can't happen anymore. Yes. So that's temporal possibility mm. it's interesting right like the like like when we talk about possibility there are actually so many different ways that we could be referring to it it's important mm. for philosophers especially when we're trying to be precise about things to make sure that we're all on the same page about what we're talking about yes <laughs> like what do you mean is it possible like i guess it is possible that in some other alternate universe, <laughs> I actually did do history. If you did do that, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. We wouldn't. <laughs> there's, a, there's a possible world where it's the inverse, and you're telling me about logic oh God. and metaphysics. Never. I sincerely hope that any other alternate universes of me would not be out here trying to distinguish between metaphysical, <laughs> uh, nomological, and temporal and logical possibilities. Yeah. Thank you. But um, <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? Um, I think it's interesting. I don't think that my thoughts would be particularly philosophical on this or that I'd engage with it on a philosophical level because I mm -hmm. simply don't have the reading. Like what I would say is that it seems that it's interesting to like, because it kind of is like a framework to understand like yes. everything. Absolutely. Right? Like it's a framework to put, everything in yeah <laughs> this is like complete and total i feel like i'm in fucking tutorial <laughs> holy fucking shit and this feels like tutorial it's like a, it's giving it's giving very like i don't know what it is i'm about to say and i might be entirely wrong but like i'm gonna go off and <laughs> my teacher can't say shit about it welcome yeah so anyway that was my bit on philosophical zombies and possibility what did you think did you like it <laughs> were you expecting the halloween episode to go uh, this way <laughs> No, but I mean, I was expecting philosophy at some point. I think 
Uh, my notes are written in my doctor's scroll. Lovely. Uh, you can post a picture of them on the Instagram after if you'd like. <laughs> I'm open on the story, yeah. Taya's notes from her philosophy tutorial. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Me, when I have thinking due at 8 p.m. for recording with Cher. <laughs> are you going to set me homework? No, I'm not. <laughs> So let's move on to your game, Taya. I'm excited to see what you have in store for me. Oh, baby, guess what? It's a time for another one of my infamously hard connect the dots. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Every time Taya puts me into a connect the dots situation, I get so stressed out. You don't need to be stressed. This is going to be fun. So, like, there's this um, psychological phenomenon called, like, uh, I think it's the burden of knowledge or something like that, where people with higher degrees of subject knowledge in something are going to overestimate what the common level of knowledge regarding that subject is. And I feel like I'm constantly worried that is going to assume. No, but they've all been guessable. I suppose so. Also, the dressed up oil thing that you brought up in episode six is yeah, really funny now. It really hindsight. is. Because <laughs> they graffitied UCL and they graffitied the red cam. Yeah, for context, <laughs> like the dressed up oil protesters not only hit sunflowers, but also our universities recently. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to make any commentary in a, an appraisal. It's just it's just funny now. I was there, um, not when it actually happened, but I, I walked past the portico. I was like, what the fuck is that orange paint? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. Connect the dots. This is the game where we spot the connections. Mm. Today, I will present a list of things that might not seem related. And the panel's goal is to find the hidden connection or common denominator. This might be a little confusing. Oh, no. Because um, the elements are lists. Oh, they're lists. Themselves. Are they sets or are they lists? They're, they're lists okay. of things. You're going to have to figure out what the list of things refers to. Right. And connect the dots. Meta as fuck. Does that make sense? Are we ready? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So the first list, oh. cornflowers, nettles, daisies, and long purples, also known as dead man's fingers. Oh my God. The next list is singing, dancing, and acrobatics in oh my fuck. Hokkien, Teochew, Cantonese, oh Hakka, and Hainanese. Oh boy. Last item, an 11-story tower, a serpent killed by a flower, and three women and fire. Okay. I think this is the hardest one it's been so far. Yeah, this is hard. So the third one, you probably won't get. Great. I'm just going to say it. If you do get it, I'm going to be really, really surprised. <sighs> yeah. Ignore the third one. It's also a little bit of an odd one out. So ignore the third one. Great. Yeah. So what do you think the first one is? Okay. Well, they're obviously all plants. Mm -hmm. Are they all flowering plants? Um, You're not on the right line with this. I can't lie. Okay. I know nettles sting. Yes, they do. What is important is that this is poetry. Oh, what do you mean this is poetry? Are these like plants that are mentioned in a poem? Oh, sorry. It's not cornflowers. It's crow flowers. That's sorry. not helpful at all. <laughs> <laughs> that makes no changes. Mm -hmm. No, actually, cornflowers I know exist. I did not know crow flowers are a thing. Is that, is that a real plant? Yep. Okay. I'll read out the lines that follow. Okay. Of crow flowers, nettles, daisies, and long purples that liberal shepherds give a grosser name, but our cold maids do dead men's fingers call them. Whoa, I don't recognize that at all. 
Mm. Oh, really? It's a little famous. No, I don't think I'm super well read. Can I ask questions? <laughs> yes, of course you can. Is this poem originally in English? Yes. Was it written by a British poet? Yes. Is it 20th century? No. 21st? Mm-mm. Oh, so back. So 19th? Nope. Whoa, further back? This still looks like modern English, though. Yeah. How far back are you going to have English that still looks like current English? Well, I mean, might not be poetry per se, but it is written in verse. Okay. But it's written in modern-looking English by a British writer. Mm. Is this a transliteration that's been modernized? Or It might be. Okay. It's quite famous. People who do know what it is, you might be able to guess, but it's from a pretty famous like plot event. Plot event. Mm. Is it part of an epic? No. So this is further back than the 1800s. How much further back? Well, I mean, I think you'll get it if you go that far back. Chaucer? Forward. Before Chaucer? No, 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 no. Forward, forward. Oh. Is this... The, 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 is this Shakespearean? Yes. God, I don't know my Shakespeare well at all. But you've gotten Shakespeare. Okay, you can name the work. I can't name the work. I'm guessing it's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. <laughs> nice. I sigh because I don't know them. <laughs> it's very famous. Don't worry. God. It's, it's this big one. Is this Romeo and Juliet? Nope. Yeah, because I, I don't know Romeo. <laughs> I don't know. This is terrible. I got an A star in English literature at A level, but I don't know my Shakespeare. It's Hamlet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't know Hamlet. It's terrible. I really thought you would, you know. I don't know my Shakespeare. I told you. You were able to get A Midsummer Night's Dream. Because I got the vibe. Mm. <laughs> get the vibe of Hamlet. It, it's terrible. I, I should be more well-read, especially given that I, I made and co-host and write for the show, you would think. but. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first list is Hamlet. Hamlet. So you have one. Yes. I think like Halloween. Okay. Hamlet, Hamlet's got ghosts. It does. So. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> what? I told you. I don't know. Okay, my... I'm glad I told you. I'm glad I told you because that bit's going to be essential to guessing like what's going on. Okay. Singing, dancing, acrobatics and Hokkien, Teochew, Cantonese, Hakka and Hainanese. So these are all Southern Chinese cultures. Mm. Is that pertinent that it's specifically southern yes but it relates to a place that both you and i have ties to singapore yeah okay is this gonna be like lion dance Mm -mm. but you're on the right line with festivals okay it's halloween ghost festival yep it is okay so hungry ghost festival yes we love (laughs) hungry Hungry ghost festival okay do you know anything about the way singapore celebrates Uh, A lot of burnings. Yes. So I don't know if you guys know this, but in at least Singapore Chinese cultures, and I'm sure in other Southern Chinese communities and probably Chinese diaspora, they burn shit for people in the afterlife. Uh, The idea is that if you burn the paper version of it here, it'll show up in the underworld. But I'm just like, I I have questions. For example, you burn them money. Do you have to burn a bank? (laughs) Also... Do they have credit cards? Yeah, and then like sometimes they'll burn like paper phones and I'm just like, do they have service down there? Like, what, what what's going on? My other thing was like, what if you burn it and the thing that gets sent over is still the paper version of it? <laughs> and your ancestors are like, dude, what the fuck is this? Like, why do you keep sending me this shit every year, dog? Yeah. This is worthless as fuck. Well, actually, you could still consider it currency i guess so in the afterlife because like t- currency doesn't necessarily have to be paper and coins no but that that's only for like the money stuff 
for like things like the phone or the car <laughs> and stuff. Like the paper version of it is fucking useless. That's true. You know, that's very true. But yeah, like <laughs> traditionally, it's um, paper versions of like golden gifts mm. that we fold at the funerals and then they get burned. Mm. And also, of course, during the Hungry Ghost Festival. Mm. Is it just ghosts? Is that the fucking connection? Okay, you're onto something with this one. Well, you're very much onto something with this I one. I mean, like, yeah, you told me ghosts were in Hamlet and like this is Hungry Ghost Festival. It would help you probably. Do you know like Gertai? Gertai? Is that like um like the stage? Yes. Okay. Very much so. Think like girls and like like chunk of the Yeah, girl. yeah. Girls in song you and know? then Thai is in like yeah, like stage. Mm. Okay. I mean, because like singing, dancing, acrobatic. So is it specifically a performance? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're on it. Okay, 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 okay. Are these all performances? Because Shakespeare would be performance. It'd be a play. Mm. Performances mm. involving ghosts. Yes. Is that it? They are. You did it. Yay. See? It only See? took yeah, 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 yeah. like ages. No, then. In the edit, it'll sound a lot shorter than it actually was. It's fine. You got it. <laughs> I'll explain the last one. Yes, please. So the last one is from the Balinese ritual after the king dies. Oh, I absolutely would not have gotten that. You might have because it's Clifford fucking Geertz. Clifford Geertz is the one relevant anthropologist or one of the few relevant anthropologists that exist. I was waiting for you to like fill in with a second clause, but it didn't come. His study of Bali is incredibly like relevant mm-hmm. in scholarship. We all had to read him as a result. Of he specifically talks about like a cockfight ritual, but in this instance, in his book, mm-hmm. which is called The Theater State in 19th century Bali, what happens is that um, the king dies. And so his body is burned ah. in a really, really big spectacle yes what they do is that his corpse was considered to be like impure so they build a 11 story tower carried by 500 men holy shit where on the upper stories are is the body and they bear it in a big procession to where the bonfire is going to be there is like a big uh serpent like a model of it yeah and the priest is going to discharge four arrows and there's a flower at the end and hit the head of the serpent. This is incredibly convoluted. Which is slay. It's a big ritual, big, big ritual. Yeah, this is is detailed. And there's a lion on stage, a wooden image in in purple and gold, and the back opening receives the body of the king. The body is then placed in the lion. It's gonna be burned, it's made of wood. Right. And then there are three young women who are going to become his favorite wives in another world. Oh, do they get burned? Oh yeah, they get carried around and they are on like the bridge over the lion that's burning. Uh Uh-huh. And the attendants pour oil, causing the flames to shoot up. Oh my God. And so then they bring their hands over their heads where, where they were to have a small dove. Holy shit. And then they jump into the flames. And the doves fly up, which represents like their souls ascending to heaven, like their ghosts like ascending. That was a lot. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. I haven't even gone into like even the intricacies of the ritual. Of course not. Like this is the kind of thing that's going to. Yeah. No, 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 no. There's a lot of obviously deep cultural symbolism Mm -hmm, associated with each part of the ritual. And it's interesting, it ties in with that hungry ghost, like the burning of something to send it to the afterlife. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, I think that's like exactly. a quite Asian thing. I've not really seen that in other cultures, but mm. it, it seems to be a thing that shows up in a few yeah. Asian costumes. It's all about like this performance of like death. Yeah. 
I guess, in a way. Interesting. And what is interesting is that all of these examples are so deeply political mm. in a way that we don't think about it. Hamlet, I often don't like to read Hamlet without its political context. Yeah. Hamlet's about kings and princes committing these awful deeds. As are most of Shakespeare's texts. <laughs> yep. And it's also posing, I guess, a question about monarchy. Because in this era, you've got Elizabeth I when her succession was so disputed because she never married. Mm. She never had kids. Mm -mm -mm. Um, and she was you know, the last of the Tudor line. You say, you know, like that's a thing that I would know. Um, I don't. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things. <laughs> one of those things that if you're smart, you should, but Cher doesn't. No, 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 no. One of those things that's like, if you're <laughs> British, I guess, then you know about. Which I'm not. So fair enough. Yeah. Shakespeare is quite subversive mm. uh, when read with yeah. a political lens in the way that he critiques monarchical power. Meanwhile, Gitz shows the majesty of monarchical power um, in its debt, mm. like the reinscribing effect of ritual yeah. to buttress power. Very much has that Southeast Asian aesthetic. Yes. The lions and the serpents yeah. and the flowers and the burning. And there's lots of like ornaments and plates yeah, and Yeah, the color scheme that you mentioned to me also sounds very Southeast Asian. Hmm, purple and gold. Yeah. It's very, very visual. It's about like that yeah. visual interpretation. It's about the spectacle. Spectacle of death. Yeah. Which is weird. I think also what's interesting, obviously Chinese Ghost Festival is in multiple languages. Mm -hmm. And I read a very interesting article which deals with how these like Gertai, uh, like they're performed yep. in often HDBs. Oh. And they're often uh, unite certain like sub-ethnic communities. So Hokkien, yeah. Cantonese, Hakka, Hananese. What the article argues is that even within like a, the idea of a homogenous Chinese, there is heterogeneity yeah. within. This is something I talk about quite often. Yeah. Taya knows that I get really angry when different variants of Chinese lek. Mm. L-E-C-T mm. um, as in forms of speech are reduced to just dialects of each other exactly the state is very involved in that like formation of identity kind of idea but plays yeah. and like theatre can serve to buttress that ideology of the state mm. but also to nuance it to subvert it to challenge it yeah and like we, we've um, kind of mentioned with like uh, mythology mm. there's an interesting relationship between like the masses as the people's using that mm. and then also having like the more authoritative figures kind of influencing what is gonna be there mm. in terms of those stories and like which cults are gonna be relevant and stuff mm. it's very very complicated. <laughs> it is so complicated, which is kind of the fun bit. This is kind of like the intersection of like anthropology, drama, politics, and fear, and like death. Yeah. I guess like all bundled into one little cute little game. Very cool. <laughs> so I talked about zombies in the philosophical sense, and yes. you talked about ghosts in the autistic sense. Yes. How the gifted kid complex of us. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> this is the pinnacle of what our show is. No, I was struggling for like a week to come up with something yeah. and I came up with this about an hour ago. I I just like to but say. But it's good. I mean, it was fucking hard and I don't <laughs> think I... <laughs> no, you got it. You got the link, which is the objective of the game. It took a while, but yeah. Mm. So everybody, thank you for listening to the Gifted Kid Complex, our first joint episode. And I think we'll do more at some point, but we'll figure out when... We will. Yeah. It's unclear when the next time will be, but probably for like special edition things like this. So 
If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast and would like to support us, a very simple way to do so is to let people know that we are here. So subscribe so you can come back every episode, rate and review us so that others can find us too, especially on Spotify. You can support us more directly by pledging on Patreon. And over there, you'll find releases as and when of exclusive bonus content made out of the fascinating tangents that hit the cutting room floor and before and after commentary from the cast and crew. Uh, It's linked in our show notes alongside any citations and references to topics we discussed today if you want further reading. And if you can't pledge on Patreon, we understand, but not to worry because here on our main RSS feed, we also occasionally release our bonus content for free, also sporadically if I do my job. Like our Patreon content, releases won't be on a strict schedule and some of the bonus will also be from season one, but it will be here Mm. and it'll be accessible to everyone. Mm. And of course, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to contact us for business inquiries or to ask questions or just to show us anything you think we'd find interesting. You can do so via our email or through our Instagram account, which share managers. Yes, I will reply to your messages, probably. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The Gifted Kid Complex is created, directed and produced by Cher C. That's myself. Our co-hosts and primary writer researchers are Cher C and Taya C, the two of us. Our primary editor is myself, our secondary editor is Taya C, who is also an audio engineer, and our talented team of lovely assistant writer researchers consists of Alex E, Delaney L, Isaiah H, Jenny S, and Lucas H. We record our episodes on Riverside.fm and publish with RSS.com, so thank you to them for helping us in making the Gifted Kid Complex exist. And finally, thank you to you, our patrons and listeners, because you are the reason we can and do make the Gifted Kid Complex. So see you next time for the next episode. See you next time. The next proper episode will be mine, my first episode of the season. And there should be a thing for my birthday in between. So that's going to be exciting. I'm turning 21. Ah. Mm. Happy birthday. It's not my birthday yet. Happy birthday to Cher. Thank you. Very nearly. And I can't wait to see what the team has in store for me because they are cooking something up and I'm afraid. (laughs) 